Um, today's reading is from the books of Roman, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope we, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured in, out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone, uh, some, um, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ernest. Um, we're going through our series through Romans, and now we're at chapter 5, a great passage. Um, so if you don't have a Bible with you, if I could ask you to take out your phone or whatever, um, take out the Bible, go through the Bible with me. Um, but as we go through it, let's ask God to speak to us um, through it. Lord, we thank you for these living words that it's uh, tr transformed the lives of many throughout the centuries. And Lord, we pray now that by the power of your Spirit, you would speak to us, pour out your love um, into our hearts, Lord, through the power of your Spirit. Help us to strengthen our faith and hope in you through this, this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, any complex things like this, um, like the 2008 financial crisis has many causes, but one of the main cause for the crisis in 2008 was the collapse of the U.S. housing market. You might know that the U.S. housing market in 2000, there was a big boom underwritten by many bad loans, subprime um, uh, loans, and uh, when people started to default on the loan, uh, that the people lost the confidence in the housing market itself, and then it led to a loss of confidence in the banking industry. The whole banks started to collapse, including if, if from Lehman Brothers. And uh, then it then started to, it caused a great recession, uh, the biggest recession since 1930s, the Great Recession, Depression in 1930s. And of course, this sort of thing is the, the, the effect of the sort of what we call domino effect, as something that starts, one thing that starts a chain reaction of many other things, and it becomes this great thing. We've seen Paul 
declare this doctrine, the justification by faith in Jesus alone, apart from our works. We're declared righteous, not because of something that, not because we have become righteous, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus became sin for us so that we might become his righteousness. He takes away our sins and he gives us his righteousness. And so we are declared righteous in front of him. And this starts a domino effect. It doesn't, it's, it's a gift that keeps on giving. It, it introduces us to many, many other benefits of Christ. Take a look at verses 1 and 2. He starts out by saying, Since, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. We have access um, by faith into His grace in which we stand. We stand in His grace now, and we now boast in the hope of glory of God. Because we're justified by faith alone, we have peace with God. We stand in His grace. We're transferred from the realm of uh, God's wrath into the realm of God's grace in which we stand now. And we're given a new future, this glorious future that God is bringing when Jesus comes back. And he says we can rejoice. Uh, We can boast. Uh, I think the better translation in this case is rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of glory. And then he uh, introduces us to that word, which becomes a theme of this section. It occurs in verse 2 there, and also in verse 3, we rejoice. We become a people who can rejoice in our suffering. And also later on in verse 11, we rejoice in God, by which I think he means rejoice in God's love. Rejoicing. Because we're justified by faith in Jesus, we become a people who can rejoice. Rejoice in what God has done for us. Justification by faith, like I said, wipes away the past sins and gives us peace. It transfers us in the present, in the realm of God's grace, but it also gives us a new future as well. Lady Macbeth uh, famously was consumed by the guilt after she and her husband murdered King Duncan in uh, Macbeth. Uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth. In that famous scene, she sleepwalks in the middle of the night and she sees her hands and she sees this phantom um, stain in her hands and she shouts out, oh, uh, out, damn spot, out, 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 I say. She wants to get rid of the blood-stained hands. She doesn't have peace. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was obsessed with the final day and what God would say. And because he was thinking about God's righteousness, it, it, it drove him to hate God's righteousness because it was making him uh, work and, and giving him this anxiety. We might also carry around all this sins and guilt in us. I wonder if you wake up in the middle of the night and sometimes go through all the things that you've done, all the unintended consequences that your sins have committed in other people's lives. But all that changes when we discover, when Paul discovers, uh, when, um, when Martin Luther discovers the doctrine of justification by faith and grace alone. So Paul writes here in verse 2 that we can boast in the hope of the glory of God. 
We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. No longer do we need to think of the future and be filled with anxiety and worries of God's righteousness. We can be filled with the hope, glory. We can rejoice in the glory and the hope uh, of, of a future that is coming. So he ends this section in verse 9, doesn't he? Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? When we look to the future, we can be certain that we will be acquitted. We will be given life through our Lord Jesus Christ, eternal life, where God's glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is our future. That is the future that is given to us through the works of Jesus. And of course, this is why our attitude, to attitude towards death can change as well. Just about now, a month ago, Pastor Tim Keller died, and his son reported just a few nights, two days, I think, nights before he passed away, um, his prayer. He said, I'm thankful for all the people who prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family who loves me. I'm thankful for the times that God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. And apparently, his final words to his loving wife, Kathy, were, there's no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. There's no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest, because as he looks to the future, he, he sees God's glory. He sees entering into that glory. He is rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. He is saying, he's echoing what Apostle Paul wrote. Remember? To live is Christ, and to die is gain. To die is gain. But it's not just our attitude towards death that changes because of what Jesus has done for us. This gift of the future should change how we live our present life as well. I've used this illustration once before um, that uh, Pastor Francis Chan talks about. You know, I've only been able to fly this kite once, and it's never, I still don't really know how long this whole thing is. Um, I've only been able to extend it maybe like 10 feet, you know, but it's probably 100 meters, uh, maybe even more. It's a pretty long thing here, but Francis Chan says, look, this is what we're obsessed with. He says, this very end here, this one millimeter, one centimeter, or whatever it is, this is what we're obsessed with. This is our life right now. And this, the rest of the hundred meters, or that keeps on going, that will be the eternity. And this eternity will be filled with God's glory. This is what God has promised us. It will be glorious. And if we have this perspective of the eternity and what is coming, then it should change the way that we live now, shouldn't it? Friends, I know that each week, Hong Kong people are busy. We're busy with many things. All the worries of today, what we'll do, and what, you know, work, family, all these things, we're overwhelmed and we lose perspective of the eternity that God has given us. We're lost in the present moment, that little millimeter bit, and there, and we lose the sight of what God has given us, this perspective of eternity, glorious eternity that is coming. And I wonder how much of the pressures that we put on ourselves each day is a result of not having this perspective. 
You know, because if we live only once, this world is all there is to it, like the world thinks. If there is no future coming, if this life is all, the only life there is, of course we have to be happy here in this life. Of course, we have to have the best work and best job and best children and best uh, life now, best vacation now, if we don't have the future glory promised for us. If we live for this only life only, we will work ourselves to death, for this is the only chance of happiness in the whole world. Christians, you don't need to have your best life here on earth now. Your children do not need to have their best life now. God has promised the best life to come. The glorious future is coming. It's okay to miss out because we will not miss out. The best is yet to come. You know, when a church member recently uh, told her colleagues that she was going to Vietnam as part of this mission trip, uh, they just assumed that she was going to, like, Hoi An or somewhere nice, you know, for herself. And when she explained that she was going on a mission trip, the colleague was surprised. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you take your vacation days out? And use your own money and to, do, to help people that you don't know. Why would you do that? Well, because she rejoices in the hope of the glory of of God, because there is a future coming that is promised for us. Friends, where have you put, where have you set your hope on? Is it for this world, for this world only, or is it for the future that is coming? Justification by faith allows us to rejoice in the hope of that future. But it also allows us to be people who can rejoice in suffering. I was listening to this podcast recently, and this Christian woman was saying that she can't, um, she finds it really difficult to share her marital difficulties with her friends because her friends just tell her, well, why don't you just get divorced? <coughs> why don't you just get divorced once again? Why stay in an unhappy marriage? Why go through all the difficulties when you only have one life to live? Your happiness becomes of utmost importance if this is it, right? You see, um, we are given this future, and we're given ability to go through uh, things because we're given a purpose, different purpose to live. Take a look at what Paul says in verse 3. Not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, we also rejoice in suffering because of these things. Once again, this, it says uh, um, we glory here, but the Greek word is the same word as verse 2. It's rejoice, boast, we glory in our suffering. Notice it doesn't say that it, uh, we rejoice for our suffering. We're not masochists here. Um, you know, of people who, you know, are only happy when they're suffering. We're not that. We know that suffering is evil. We don't rejoice for the suffering, but we rejoice in the suffering, in and through the suffering, because of what it will produce in us, because it helps us to grow. So Paul goes on, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, 
and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, suffering starts this chain reaction that leads to deepening sense of hope and love of God. I'm sure you can go through some of your experiences. What happens to a Christian when they start suffering? Well, there is that initial moment of doubt, initial moment of anger. Why is this happening to me? That sort of thing. But then, often, suffering will help us to clear out all the clutters, all the things that seemed important to us, but that are not. We reprioritize in our sufferings, don't we? That, this especially happens when we face our death. Death makes everything very clear. All the vanities of life, money, status, all these things, you know, they become what the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes called just chasing after wind. It's wind. It's nothing. It's puff that goes away. We reprioritize in our suffering, don't we? Uh, one person said, I didn't know that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. Well, that's reprioritizing. And not only does we clear up our priorities and, and declutter, we often start developing deep spiritual habits in our suffering. When you get sick, well, what do you do? Often you start praying. You start ask, asking other people to pray for you. You read the Bible. You think about these important things in life. You start having spiritual conversations. You think, you start setting your hope in God. And we then persevere in our faith through those habits by praying, by reading the Bible, by thinking about this, about the hope that we have. And of course, having such spiritual habit, habits, developing spiritual habits then lead to character, this testedness, maturity. It's not, a, it's not like a young recruit, you know, jittery and nervous at everything. You've seen through it. You've been, your faith has been tested. You grow. You mature through the suffering because you persevere with those habits. Your faith is strengthened by these trials. And that often happens um, because um, we, we, uh, and then we come to deeply appreciate the hope that we have in Jesus. We set our eyes on the new future that is coming. And we're able to do that often because as we persevere and through uh, these spiritual habits, setting our hope on Jesus, what then happens is God then pours out His, holy, His love into our hearts as we see in verse 5. And the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we go through suffering, praying, thinking about these things, we have some of the most intense spiritual experiences, don't we? We're assured of God's love for us. The Spirit pours out His love into our hearts. The Bible is full of stories of saints who have gone through suffering, who have been matured through suffering. I mean, ask um, Abraham. He'll tell you about years of barrenness, many, many years of not having a child. Jacob will tell you about the troubles with his brother Esau and, and wrestling with an angel and the stone um, pillow. Joseph will tell you about how many years he spent in jail. David will tell you about the countless nights that he stayed awake watching for his enemies, praying to 
God. Moses will tell you about the time in the wandering in the desert. Peter and Paul will tell you about how they were jailed and how they sang God's praises in the jail itself and how peace of God that surpasses all understanding came to their hearts. Pastor Tim Keller, once again, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He too, he says, had a moment. He said, why me? Surely this happens to other people, but why me? But then he talks about his prayer life in many interviews since then. He'll talk about how he, he doesn't want to go back um, to, even if everything had been healed, he says, this spiritual life and the prayer, prayer life that I've since developed, I don't want to go back. I want to have that in my life as a permanent fixture. And then he talks about how he thought of heaven daily because of death. And then he started to come to appreciate this earth, all the little blessings, daily little things that God has given him. He says, this is just a reflection of what will come, what, what I will enjoy for the eternity. He came to appreciate this earth because he was heavenly, minded, he writes. And then he writes in the Atlantic of the hope that he has in Jesus. For me as a Christian, Jesus' costly love, death, and resurrection had become not just something that I believed and filed away, but a hope that sustained me every day. He thought about this hope. It sustained his hope every day. And he adds, I can sincerely say without any sentimentality or exaggeration that I've never been happier in my life that I've never had more days filled with comfort. But equally, it is true that I've never had so many days of grief. Both are true. Suffering is real. There are days for him when it, for him, uh, when it was filled with grief. But in his grief, he was also able to rejoice. Rejoice in his suffering because of the hope that he has in Jesus. We rejoice in our suffering. I'm sure you have stories of how you matured through suffering and pain. And if you haven't, friends, suffering will come. It will come to you. This is a picture of life. Sin and death is part of this world. But when it comes, friends, hope in God. Priority, clear up your priorities. Develop the spiritual disciplines. Continue to look to Jesus. He will fill your heart with love and the hope in Him. But at the same time, there are some people uh, for whom suffering robs their faith. They fall away because of pain and suffering rather than being strengthened in their hope. But what is the difference between these two groups of people, you might ask? How can I be sure that I don't fall away? I think the difference is where they get their assurance of God's love. Take a look at verse 5 again. It describes, once again, the subjective experience of God's love and how God has, through the Spirit, poured out God's love into uh, our hearts. I hope we all have some experience, good and, you know, big and small ways where God has filled our hearts with the hope. But I've had that in my life as well when I've, you know, been so moved by uh, God's love for, for me. But then when hardship or suffering or diagnosis of cancer or whatever comes, you sometimes doubt that, don't you? You might go, well, maybe that was just 
psychological experience. Maybe I was just emotionally vulnerable. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't real. In those moments, we sometimes need something more objective, something more concrete than our subjective experience of God's love. And that is what God has given us as well. Take a look at verse 8. Here, church, there's an objective demonstration of God's love for us. God demonstrates His own love for, uh, for us in this. While, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This word demonstrates, I think, is too weak of a word for what this is. It proves God's love for us. It shows God's love. It proves God's love for us. God demonstrated, He proved His love by sending His Son to die for us. This is an objective truth. Um, how does one prove one's love for another person? I think two factors go in. One is, what do you give for the other person? And the second part is the worthiness of the recipient. Is he worthy of that gift? We measure uh, love by that standard. Friends, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that he sent himself, the second person of the Trinity, God's own son to die for us. He could not give you anything more. He gave everything that he has, he, his very being for us, to die for us. But for whom? For whom? Here's what this passage calls us. Verse 6, powerless and ungodly. Verse 8, sinners. Verse 10, enemies. God sent his son for those who are completely unworthy of his grace. Sinners, enemies of God. And that proves God's love for us. I'm told that the nails that um, Jesus, that held on the Jesus, look kind of like this thick, long, tough nails. And you can see some of these uh, nails that are um, uh, found. Um, in the Roman, throughout the Roman Empire. But, friends, it wasn't these nails that held Jesus on the cross. Jesus created the universe. He sustains the universe. He could have at any time commanded the army of heaven to come down. I don't know. He could have just done the miracle of taking the nails away from his arms. No, what held him on the cross was his love for us because he wanted to prove his love for us, to demonstrate his love for us so that we, he could become our sin, that we, become, we might become his righteousness, so we might have life through his death and resurrection. Each Christian has had a measure of this experience of God's love, big and small, and God has proved His love for us through the death of His Son. Friends, it does mean that you are loved beyond your imagination by God. No matter who you are, what you've done, you are loved by God. And that makes us people who rejoice. Buddhists go to their temples, don't they? And they're quiet. They're reflective. They want to empty themselves of their desires. Uh, Muslims go to their um, 
uh, uh, mosques uh, to plead with God, to pray to God to, uh, earnestly. Christians, whenever we get together, one sign that Christians should get together, I mean, one sign that the Christians get together, whenever Christians get together, one sign should be rejoicing, praising, singing. And that's what we do each Sunday. We're reminded of what Jesus has done for us, and we praise God for what he has done. For we are a people who rejoice. Rejoice um, in the hope that we have. Rejoice in our suffering. Rejoice and delight in God's love. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died. So we'll sing together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who died for us. We thank you that we have these subjective experiences of your love when you, by the power of your Spirit, have assured us that we are loved. And we thank you that there is this objective evidence of your love for us, Christ dying for us for our sins. Lord, help us to meditate on what we have received in your love. Strengthen our faith and strengthen our hope in you. May we be people who have great faith, great hope, and and have experienced and demonstrate great love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.